Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is just chock full of uh, wisdom. It is just, this book is just gold. It's gold for the day in which we live. My constant response, you know, when, when uh, Brandon said, let's tackle Ecclesiastes this summer as pastors, I thought, um, count me out. Um, and uh, honestly, it it just feels like this book was written for the day in which we um, live, which is just something amazing about God's Word, isn't it? It's 3,000 years old, and it feels like um, it's, uh, it's written to this very moment um, in, in our nation's culture and history. So Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature. It's filled with wisdom. We need wisdom. We're desperate for um, wisdom, right? When, a, when, a, uh, when you have a little toddler and they stand against the wall right next to the electrical outlet and they take their finger and they move it close to the outlet and what do they do when they do that? They look over at you, right? Like, are you really gonna deprive me of this immense pleasure? And, uh, and what do you do? You take their hand and you slap it, right? Because you want them to experience a little pain and not a what? And not a major um, pain. You're giving them a taste of wisdom, right? It would not be wise for you to stick your finger in the um, outlet. Wisdom. Listen, on the, um, when I became uh, um, an adult, I'll never forget someone saying to me a bit of financial wisdom. Never borrow money to purchase a depreciating asset. I've lived by that maxim my whole life. Never borrow money, pay interest on money um, to appreciate, uh, to, to uh, purchase a depreciating asset. How about my grandfather? I still remember him saying to me, um, you never get a second chance to make a, a good first impression. So cut your hair before you go for the job interview. Get dressed up. Um, uh, make a good appearance. You never get a second chance at that. What happens when your kid becomes a teenager, they go off to college, you say things like this to them. Nothing good happens when? Nothing good happens after midnight, right? Just read the crime reports in the local um, paper and when most of them, uh, when most of it's going down. You have a daughter going to college, you say, don't get intoxicated because all kinds of bad things happen if, uh, if you're foolish and out of control like that. I can even remember when a, when a sage said to me um, years ago, someday in the future, your church will hold a summer conference and they will set up a water slide outside for, um, for, for young children, maybe even high school students to go down. And, uh, and one day you'll be 63 years old and someone will taunt you about going down the water slide. Don't do it. Your lower back will make you pay for weeks and months to come. Wisdom, this is wisdom. We don't always learn uh, wisdom. But these are the words of Solomon. Solomon's, um, uh, he, he's seen some stuff. He's experienced some stuff. And, uh, and it's put down right here in God's 
word. And we're going to start at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. So if you're able, why don't you stand and give God's word its due. Starting in verse 10, Ecclesiastes 5. So he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in this toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired word. What a gift it is that we have a father who speaks to us and gives us wisdom. Amen. You may be seated, please. Something more, you know. It seems to be an inescapable part of the human experience, the sense that we're missing out on um, something um, vital. That something's lacking, something's um, missing. No matter what we have or what we've experienced, we live with a, uh, a sense of, of being unfulfilled. And, and sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes it, it can feel like, I'm not just missing something, I'm missing the main thing. I'm kind of missing the whole point. Oz Guinness is one of my favorite authors and thinkers, and uh, he told of speaking in uh, Silicon Valley in California, and he was speaking to the, the wealthiest of the wealthy. Do you know in that uh, region of our country, in about a 20-year span, was the greatest creation and accumulation of wealth the world has ever known? Do you know that when, say, I was a young lad, to have a million dollars, remember that when that was considered to be something? I mean, if you even knew somebody who was a millionaire, wow, they're a millionaire. Well, we're talking about people that made money not in the millions, but in the billions. So Oz Guinness, um, speaking to them and uh, in, a, in a ballroom in San Francisco, and when he was finished, he said, it was amazing how many people came up to him. Um, and in fact, four of the people that came up to him and, uh, and, and, and actually used the exact same phrase, which wasn't a phrase he ever used when he was um, giving his address. There has to be something more. There has to be something more um, to life. 
One of them said this, like many of my friends around here, I've learned a lesson I wish I had known when I started out. Having it all just isn't enough. There's a limit to the successes worth counting and the toys worth accumulating. Business school never gave me a calculus for assessing the deeper things of life. I am at a point in my life where I realize there has to be something more. So Mariah Carey, famous pop singer, sold more um, um, albums, made more money selling music than anybody but the Beatles and Elvis. That's pretty high company, right? And um, so they asked her, what else do you have to attain? What goals do you have that you haven't um, reached? What yet do you lack in life? And her answer was one word, happiness, happiness. You can have it all and realize that you don't have anything in some respects. There's something more. There's a documentary that came out just this weekend on Anthony Bourdain. It's called Roadrunner. I haven't seen it. I just saw the, the, the little trailer advertising it. But if you know anything in the life of Anthony Bourdain, so here was a chef who becomes a, a CNN, has his own show, travels all over the world, goes to the most exotic locations, and he is a hungry, thirsty, striving man driven for every experience. Every, they, they talked about, um, I just want to find the cliff, those cliffs in the world that nobody has ever dared jump off of before. He's, um, he fills his life with, uh, with wine, with, uh, with uh, food, with travel, with adventure, with experiences, with money, with women, and then he kills himself. Um, he, he, he was desperately looking for something more. Young man who grew up in our church 15 years after leaving wrote one of the pastors and said, um, kind of like to report in, in a, in a sense. He said, I've, um, I've, I, I got a great education. I, got, um, I have a wonderful vocation. I'm really well compensated. I have a lovely wife. Um, I've got a child I adore. Everything's working except for I have a huge spiritual void in my life. And I think I need to come back to the church of my childhood and find out what's so glaringly missing for me. Something more, right? Got to find it. Um, Ecclesiastes is um, topping the charts in our day because our overwhelmingly prosperous society is filled with emptiness and discontent. We are the... um, we, we use more pharmaceuticals to deal with our anxiety and despair than the whole rest of the world combined. Something's missing. Something um, more. So you're ready to go. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's listen to Solomon. Let's get some wisdom. And I want to say to people who are sitting in this room and maybe um, even more people who are live streaming that perhaps you've said, man, I can relate to what you're saying, but I tried church. I tried religion. I've, uh, I've tried a lot of religions. And you might say, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been to classes, I've been to counseling, I've done, and that, that gnawing discontent inside of me, I'm, I'm, count me now as a cynic. Count me as one who, um, I'm not trying anything else. I just wanna, I, I'm gonna throw you a rope this morning because I want you to know there is something more. There is something more. And prodigals who have run far away 
and had lives filled with discontent, uh, by God's mercy and grace, they have found it. And I'm gonna throw you that rope this morning too. So hang in there, listen to me. You ready to go? Got a sermon outline? Point number one is first, what's not something more? What is not the something more? It's prosperity. It's financial wealth. That's not the something more. Now some of you take a deep sigh of relief and say, I hate it when the sermon's about me, but this one clearly is not. Um, I'm off the hook. Uh, There are some wealthy people here. I hope they sit for it in their seat. I hope they learn what you have um, to say. But in fact, you're completely misreading the challenge because it's not the possession of wealth, it's often the what? It's the desire for it, it's the wanting for it, it's the longing for it. Very often, people who are wealthy are much more informed about the limitations of wealth, right? They're much more informed about the fact that wealth itself is not going to bring the kind of life that, uh, that everybody aspires to. It's actually the people that don't have it, right? that can be captured by it, that can still be under the delusion that if I only had more, then then life would be rich. Just look at, some of you could be sitting, you know, I just hope the Terra Vista and Black Diamond people are listening to what you have to say. Um, But do you know in Florida, I think there was about $3 billion worth of lottery tickets bought last year. In our nation, there was 80 billion dollars spent on the lottery. And I'm going to guarantee you that lottery tickets sold in the state of Florida are not being bought by people in Terra Vista and Black Diamond. Um, They're being bought primarily by by the poor, which is part of the great injustice of of the lottery, the the preying on the poor. The lottery uh, outlets are predominantly in poor neighborhoods throughout our um, state. It's holding before people who don't have wealth. Look, look, you could have it. Go for it. Go for the carrot, right? Because it'll give you life. But it won't. It's a great lie. It's the North American lie. One of the saddest experiences of my life is going to Africa and preaching to pastors there. And uh, pastors who would tell me, I'd say Jesus was uh, a man who... um, You know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a home. He didn't have anything. He didn't have any possessions when he died, but the clothes he was wearing. And they tell me, no, Jesus was rich. And and if you love God and follow God, he'll make you rich. Because that's what it's about. It's about prosperity. And where did they get that? They got that from the North American church. So... What is it not? It is not um, wealth. So, so Solomon, Solomon would know. Remember, this guy, uh, he's been there. He didn't just have a house, he had houses. He didn't just have a garden, he had gardens, lovely, well-tended gardens. Solomon didn't have a pool, he had pools, right? He didn't have a closet with a few clothes. He had rooms of clothing. He had slaves, he had wives, he had concubines, he had everything. So let's listen to him. Four things he says here, wealth won't do for you. The first is prosperity is unsatisfying. It will not appease your craving. Verse 10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, right? Doesn't appease, it, it doesn't fill us. And in fact, the more you have, the more you want, right? We, when we get more income, our standard of living just goes up. No matter how much income we have, our standard of living goes up. 
So the people who have a lot of money tend to worry about money even more than the people who have very little money, right? Um, we all know that in practicality, right? When you're, you're young and you're poor, you eat tuna casserole. If I never see tuna casserole again in my life, I'll be a happy man. Um, you do what you gotta do, right? You, you know, a, a little hamburger is great, but then it's gotta be actually a sirloin um, burger, and then it's gotta be a Wagyu beef um, burger, and then, you know, then any kind of steak will do, and then that's not good enough. You've gotta have now, rib boy, are you, rib, rib eye, you gotta have some kind of um, prime tenderloin, right? And then you gotta have that one with the bone that goes through it. What do they call that thing? Tomahawk, yeah, thank you. I know where you live. Um, so, um, doesn't matter what we have, we want more um, because what we have won't fill us. You know, if anything's worse than this addiction that prosperity brings, it's the emptiness that it, it, it leaves. Man created with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than wealth. Brandon pointed out to me, we were talking about this, he said, look at um, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, They're both fighting to be what? The first one in space. It's not enough that they own a half the universe, right? But, it, but not only to go to space, not only to have an experience that nobody else can afford, but to do it first. So all their wealth isn't enough. They've got to have more, more, more. So it's unsatisfying. Secondly, it's burdensome. Wealth is burdensome. What does Ecclesiastes say in verse 11 and 12? When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, the more you have, the more mouths you feed. Whether it's your employees or your staff or all the people you have to hire, right? The burden to create more wealth, to take care of the wealth you have. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich won't let him sleep. If you think life is easier when you're wealthy, well, in some ways it certainly uh, is. It must be, but in many ways it's not. And all you have to do is go anywhere in the world. And you will find, uh, by, and by, by far, you will find people of very modest means generally are far more healthy, far more happy, far more joyous than people of great means. Um, the more prosperous you are, the more you have to manage. You have a yard, the bigger it gets, you need people to help you with it. You got a pool, you gotta have somebody to help you with it. The more cars you have, um, they're expensive, uh, they require a lot of care. I mean, no matter what you have, it breaks, right? The nice stuff we have. Remember when you just had a refrigerator? We bought uh, another house about eight years ago. We moved in the refrigerator, has like a screen on the front of it. It tells you the weather. It'll tell you the weather in Pocatello, Idaho. I don't care, right? I don't go to the refrigerator for the weather. Um, we got refrigerators that tell you the weather. Um, so um, whatever you've got, right, it's gotta be fixed. You gotta buy insurance on it, you gotta pay taxes on it, you gotta financial advisors, accountants, accountants. Johnny Cash, accountants. Um, gotta pay for accountants. Wealth is burdensome. It's remarkable that with our modern, somebody said it's remarkable with our modern health clubs and Pelotons and diets, we have to pour out money and effort just to undo the damage of prosperity. People used to work. That was what they did for exercise, remember? Um, uh, this, uh, this woman is, uh, gives us wisdom. I worked as an assistant 
to three different famous families in Southern California for about five years, none of the people in these families, not even one, was happier than the average person you and I might know. There seemed to be a great deal more drama, angst, jealousy, and fearfulness in general with these families. Seeing this in such an intimate way helped me to stop thinking along these lines, if only I had, or when I get that, I will be happier. Remember that, uh, remember that movie about the Southern um, maids? Wasn't it called The Help in Jackson, Mississippi? When you watch that movie, you remember who were the happiest people? It was The Help, right? Um, so prosperity is not satisfying, it is burdensome. Third, it's spiritually corrosive. What does it say in verse 13, the passage we read? There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Prosperity is particularly spiritually corrosive if you hoard it. The New Testament says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, a snare. Many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Do you know... um, Think of, the, think of the rich man in the Bible that, that has tremendous prosperity. So what does he do? He builds bigger barns. He stores it. He stores it. He stores it. And then finally he's going to retire and enjoy it all. And that night he dies and God says, you're a fool, right? You're rich toward yourself. You weren't rich toward your community. You weren't rich toward God, right? The hoarding of money is spiritually corrosive. All of us hearts broke, particularly, particularly if you live in a condominium. Um, and watching that disaster in South Florida. And uh, for those who build buildings, for those of you who, for those who work with engineering and construction and concrete and all, it's gonna be a fascinating study to see uh, what allowed that to happen. And already engineers have suggested that it was waterproofing was a problem. That the water, when it fell on the pool deck of that condominium and, and uh, seeped down into the parking garage and stayed on that concrete, and, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. The water's got to roll off. The water's got to be carried away. But it, the concrete um, gets wet. It stays wet. And then the rebar, and it um, corrodes. And, uh, and the whole thing results in a horrific disaster. So what's it supposed to be with money? When God gives it to you, it's supposed to move through you. He gives it to you to be a conduit, um, to bless um, others to, 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 to bless his church, to bless his mission. But that's not the way it often works, right? And it corrodes the soul. Study after study shows the greater your wealth, the less percentage you give away. Isn't that fascinating? All across America, extensive studies of stewardship show that people with the most wealth give far less percentage of their wealth than people who have far less. Um, I, I, I uh, love this painting. Um, the, the, uh, the author's name was Quentin uh, Metzis. He was a, a Flemish painter in the 1500s, and it's called The um, Moneylender and His Wife. And uh, you can see the man is mesmerized. He has a coin in his hand, and it, he has a coin actually in both hands, and he's He's raptured um, by it. He has a pile of, of coins there. But more disturbing is his wife, in a sense, because she's reading a book. What does that book look like to you? 
What does it look like she's reading? The Bible, right? The picture in that book is of uh, Mary holding Jesus. And uh, she was reading it, but she's what? She's distracted. Her, uh, her attention is being pulled over um, to the money. It's fascinating, the artist, um, right over the woman's um, um, left shoulder is a candle that's burned out, pictures of judgment. Uh, the scales that exist on the table, another picture of judgment. Perhaps the greatest picture of judgment is right over the artist, I mean, right over the, the money um, lender's head. It's what? Think of the Garden of Eden. It's the apple. It's the lure of the apple. You can have ever, everything, but you can't have this. And yet man said, I will have that. That's what I want to my destruction. You got it? It's the lure. The lure of it is corrosive to the soul. Jesus sees a young man who's taken with money. We call him in the Bible the what? The rich, young ruler, right? Taken with money. Jesus says, give it away. But he could not. He could not. The Bible says that Jesus is deeply saddened with me? It doesn't satisfy. It increases your burdens. It's spiritually corrosive. And last, uh, it just won't produce security, right? That's what it's all about. All I want is security. And we even call the government funding of retirement social what? Security. All I want is security. All I want to have enough. I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. I just want security. Well, money doesn't provide that. One bad decision, one calamity, and you can lose it all, right? Um, it, it says, there is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Not only can you lose it all, you will. Every person will lose it all. What does this passage also say? Naked you were when you came in the world, and naked you will be when you depart. No one's bringing it with you. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? Every person will lose it. You accumulate, 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 but you will not have it going forward. That's, that is just the truth. Okay. Listen, there was a man came here, I remember, um, during the Great Recession, came to our church, and, uh, and he came, he and his wife came because um, his only son had died in a car accident. Very grieved. But at the same time, he had um, aged out of his job. So he lost his son, he lost his job. Do you know, two months after he lost his job, they changed the federal rules that would have allowed him to keep his job. And he appealed and they said, no, it's not retroactive. He lost his son, he lost his job. And then the recession came and he lost his wealth. And then burdened by it all, his wife left him. It was a modern day Job walked through the door of our church. Everything was lost. And thankfully, because of that, he ran towards Jesus because he had nothing else. You know, you can have all the money in the world and your spouse can get uh, cancer and, uh, and, and, and your money can't save her. You could even avail yourself of the greatest doctors in all the world, but your money can't save her, right? 
money can't give you security. Prosperity can't hold you, talk to you, comfort you, love you, or kiss you. One of our members wrote and said, Solomon was right. I have four college degrees. One's a doctorate. I was voted by the faculty as the most outstanding student in my class in doctoral studies. I have my own business. God's given me every material gift I could ever hope for. A beautiful house, wealthy, wife and kids healthy, great wife, and yet I am filled with dissatisfaction and depression, and I don't know why. I have absolutely no reason to be unhappy. I have fallen into the trap of believing that obtaining one more thing will make me happy or complete. However, I have found that obtaining something is often more pleasurable than actually having it. After I get what I want, I find I'm no happier than I was before I got it. Um, I'm just begging you to see the, the, uh, the lie of prosperity, right? The Beatles were actually right. I don't care too much for money because money can't buy me love, right? Money can't kiss you, can't hold you. I'm just praying the spirit of the living God to fall on us and teach us something because I told my wife I felt like preaching this sermon was a waste of time because I, how, how do you get North American culture to deal with this idolatry? Um, to take the kind of um, action to, um, to guard our hearts uh, because we are so all in on prosperity. Um, it's been said people spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to discover that when they reach the top, the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So what is the right wall? What is the thing to live for? What is something more? You ready? Wealth and prosperity. If God gives it to you, it's his prerogative, right? It could be a good gift of God, but I'm telling you, it's a burdensome gift. And it will take great wisdom to handle it with wisdom and proper stewardship, right? It'll take the Spirit of God to enable you to deal with something so burdensome. And if you live in North America, you've pretty much been given the gift. Everybody who lives here. This is our great challenge. And our great challenge is to say, why do I thirst for it? Why do I worry about it? Why do I make it so central? Why do I pine to have my kids get jobs where they'll make big salaries as if that's going to give them a meaningful life? What's the something more? Ready? Part two? Well, you know what it is, right? It's, um, it's a relationship with God. It's the fullness of God. Um, the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. That's where I get full. That's where I can say my soul is satisfied because I am in the presence of God. I have a right restored relationship with God as my father. Now you know this picture, the, um, uh, the, the money lender and his wife. There's a redemptive um, uh, message to this picture. It's that little... Um, um, picture frame right in front of them on the table. See it there? It, it's, a, it's a mirror, and it's um, actually reflecting. And you see a man there, and what do you see in the window? A what? It's a cross. 
and that man is reaching towards the cross. The moneylender is transfixed by money. His wife is being lured there too. But uh, there the artist is telling us there's no life, there's only judgment ultimately in money, but he's reaching for the cross, he's reaching for Jesus. And who is that man in the picture? Take a guess. It's Metsis. That's a picture of him, he's drawn himself. He's saying to people through his painting, don't, don't buy the lie, don't be allured, reach for the cross, reach for God. So there it is. It means that we have a reverence for God. I didn't read this verse, it's in chapter five, verse um, seven. For when dreams increase and words grow, many there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So the, the fear of God. In our culture we hear that, we say, well, I don't wanna fear God. I don't think of fearing God is what it's about. God's a God of love, exactly. You fear him, that means you respect him, you revere him, you love him, um, you give him his weight, you give him his due. You've been loved by him, you respond with love. You're, you turn from your defiant independence. I'm God, I'll eat the apple if I want it, I'll live my way, no, 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 I surrender, I surrender to you, God, I trust you, I surrender to your authority. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, I give my life for your um, glory. I want to obey you. I want to glorify you. Not all the time. It's a struggle. But in my heart of hearts, this is what I want. I've been transformed by your love for me. Uh, it's, a, it's what Calvin said beautifully. John Calvin, not Calvin and Hobbes. The pious mind restrains itself from sinning, not out of dread of punishment alone, but because it loves and reveres God as Father and worship and adores him as Lord. Even if there were no hell, it would shudder at offending God. So am I afraid of God because he might punish me? No, I long to honor God because he's worthy of it, right? You know, when your kids were little, you could make them obey you. And you could make them afraid of you. Oh gosh, those days were glorious, weren't they? <laughs> you know, the little urchins would shudder with fear. But they grow up, right? And when they're teenagers, fear, your size, all those things that worked when they were little, they don't work anymore, do they? And now they'll only honor you or obey you if they what? If they love you. It's a beautiful thing when your children love you, when they respect you. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's what we give to God. Have you given God that in your life? Have you said yes to God? Has God been so kind to show you his love and affection in such a way that that's what you want? Jesus, all I have in life, I want Jesus. Jesus is my satisfaction uh, and my joy. I will turn from the idol of prosperity. You know, to do that, we talk about the expulsive power of a greater affection. There's something you gotta love more. You remember the story of Aaron Ralston? I can't believe how many years ago it was, but this young man went mountaineering out in uh, caves in southern Utah. Blue John Canyon was the name of the place, really remote, and he manages to have something happen there. He's skilled and he's experienced, uh, but not so skilled that he um, may be so skilled he doesn't bring anybody with him and he's alone, and a 900-pound boulder tumbles down and pins his arm. You remember this story, right? 
And for two days, he does everything he can to get out. I mean, he pushes that boulder with all he's got. Um, he, he has a little pocket knife and he tries to chip away at it. He, every strategy he can think of to, uh, to try to lubricate that arm, to try to um, uh, extricate himself, but there's no cavalry coming. There's no help. There's no cell phone service. There's no uh, nothing. And as his water is gone, his food is gone, his life is ebbing away, um, he does the almost unthinkable. You remember what he does? He cuts his arm off. Um, he cuts his hand off. And uh, people said, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? And it didn't, and his knife was an old, by the time he tried to chip that stone away, and it was as dull as it could be. He said it wouldn't even cut the hair on his arm. He does it with that. And they said, what compelled you to be able to do that? And you know what he said? It was the greatest answer. He said, I just thought about how much I love margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought, I have got to taste a margarita again. <laughs> the expulsive power of a greater affection, right? There's something better than dying. It's the taste of a margarita, right? What ultimately, I remember a kid came to me one time as a high school kid. His parents sent him in. I said, why are you here? My parents made me come. Cool. I said, why'd they make you come? He said, because I smoke pot. Uh, I said, why do you smoke pot? He said, I love it. <laughs> I said, I don't have anything to say to you that'll make you stop smoking pot until you love something more than pot. You'll keep smoking until there's something you love more than that. That's what Jesus is. It's the greater affection that allows you to walk away from things you really love, right? Do you know him? Have you experienced that? And not only that, it's, it's not just the fear, the revering of God, but it's the enjoying of God. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him. And so that's what it says at the end of um, chapter six, uh, chapter five, we read it um, together. I love it where, where it says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, right? The last verse, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Um, this is the something more. It's to live with the joy of God. Um, um, you love the giver more than you love his gifts. Uh, in his presence is fullness of joy. Um, what is Nowen? Henry Nowen writes about joy. It's the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. It is an interior joy. No circumstance can take joy away. People stand at the grave of their children filled with joy. They're not happy. They're racked with tears and filled with joy because Jesus has them and they have Jesus and they have faith, hope, and love. To have Jesus doesn't mean your child won't get cancer or your spouse won't leave you or your dad won't get Alzheimer's. It means you have Jesus, and that is always, always enough. Do you know what it means to live as a child of God in this world that he made? 
Yes, it's a world filled with sorrow and temptation and, and, uh, and grief, but at the same time, think of all that God gives us on a daily basis. We have barbecue ribs, right? Grandbabies singing in church. We have Catherine, for that matter. I mean, there's a reason to go to church uh, every week, right? <laughs> she is precious. Um, you know, th- think about singing in church, cutting your yard, making dinner, doing laundry, sipping a Moscow mule, watching a cardinal light on your um, fence, eating ice cream, going to summer conference, sunset at the beach. They're all gifts of God, right? Every day. You know, some people I think say, I'm, I'm gonna, some people I experience have gotten to the end of their life and say, I missed it, I missed it, I, I, I blew it. I, 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 and it's coming to an end. And now all the things I wanted to do, and I'm, I think when you have Jesus, you have the opportunity to come to the end of their life and, and, and say, gosh, it's over so fast. It was such a blast. It's over so fast. It was so much more, it was so much more rich and full than I could have ever dreamed or longed for. That's what it says right here. He will not much remember the days of his life because God has kept him occupied with joy in his heart. You come to the end of your life and you say, are you kidding me? All of this and eternity too? Are you kidding me? That's joy. That's the something more. Something wealth cannot provide. To have the love of God, to have the joy of God. You know, it's really sad that Anthony Bourdain documentary, you know how it starts? It starts with Anthony Bourdain himself saying, you're probably going to find out a lot about, um, about this anyway. So here's a little preemptive truth telling. This story is not gonna have a happy ending. That's how the documentary starts. You're gonna find this out anyway, but the story of my life does not have a happy ending. How about yours? How about yours? Reach for Jesus. He is the something more. Amen. Father, thank you that, in fact, it isn't even our reaching for you Uh, that enables us to find you. It's your reaching for us down through eternity, walking the dusty roads, coming into this world, reaching Solomon and Moses and all the writers of Holy Scripture to give us the wisdom to say everything your heart craves and thirsts for is found in being united to me. So Jesus, thank you for being the very thing that our hearts crave. And I pray for people in this room right now that, uh, that sit there and say, there is a spiritual hole in my life that they might experience in hearing you say, come to me and I will fill you. I will give you bread to eat and you will never hunger again. Thank you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.